Welcome to The Stories That Make Us, a podcast about the fiction that has moulded, shaped and inspired us. I'm Abby Ruggles and this is my co-host Rory Doherty. Hello. Each week we chat to a different creative and explore which narratives have impacted them the most. This week our guest is the lovely Alex, who is a freelance entertainment writer, deputy editor of New Game Plus and an aspiring community manager. How are you guys doing this week? I'm doing well, thank you. It's really, really lovely to be here. I'm so excited. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right. I'm a bit tired, and uh, I've had a long festival day for the London Film Festival, and I'm recovering from a slight food coma for shoving a lot of gnocchi into my mouth that I was socially embarrassed into buying at a restaurant when I was working on my. I mean, essays. what better podcast prep is there than shoving gnocchi in your face? Absolutely, I'm ready to go. <laughs> So Alex, um, do you just want to talk to us a bit about the work that you're doing at the moment as a writer and editor? Yeah, sure. It's kind of weird because I think right now uh, I'm actually not doing a huge amount as I have just started back at university. Hmm. I'm a final year student as well as doing all this stuff online. And unfortunately, I should have priorities. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I always doing film reviews on the Digital Fix website Hmm. uh, where you can always find me. Um, I'm currently doing quite a few horror things and Halloween things, which which I love. I also will Yay. have some stuff up on some podcast work of my own up on New Game Plus soon. But I can't say too much. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, mystery. <laughs> uh, what even else am I doing? I, I'm just here, there and everywhere, really. Let's go deeper. Yeah, I mean, like, what's, what are you doing on like the astral plane? <laughs> what are you doing in reality? How are you engaging with the metaphysics of our planet? Oh, asking the deep questions, <laughs> Rory. Don't ask and don't answer any of those. <laughs> Perhaps uh, um, <laughs> we should just jump into the first piece. So as our listeners have probably heard in the last two episodes, we spent most of the episode talking about some pieces of fiction that our guest, or last episode, me and Rory, have kind of found really inspiring and motivating for our work. This week, it's Alex who's picked her three pieces. Which one would you like to do first, Alex? I feel like I should start with the one that if anyone's actually listening this listening to this for me will be expecting, which is how to train your dragon. <laughs> Yes, let's Hell do yes. it. So do you just want to give us a brief rundown of what How to Train Your Dragon is, if there's anybody out there that hasn't seen it? For anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, How to Train Your Dragon is a 2010 DreamWorks animated film based on some books, some children's books by Cresta Cowell, which is about a young Viking called Hiccup who doesn't want to kill Vikings anymore when he realises that they're not actually as dangerous and evil as they have been taught their entire lives and so he creates a friendship with a dragon who he names Toothless and it's about them coming together and also together tackling the beliefs of the Vikings and changing the entire kind of community. It's a great film. Don't get confused into thinking it's that History Channel TV show Vikings because you will be very Mm. disappointed (laughs) if you watch that thinking it's other 
it's it's a lot less sweet it's a lot more violent uh, uh how do you, i think i saw how to train dragon one uh because i couldn't see like uh my local cinema wasn't showing the film old dogs which nobody remembers <laughs> but is like a is a film comedy with john travolta and robin williams that was like the worst movie of the year when it came out and i was like i want to see this genuinely unironically and they didn't have it on but they did have how to train your dragon and I must have been like 12, 13. So, you know, at the end of like going to see children's movies, basically, it start it started obviously a long kind of decade of, of loving that franchise. When, when did you first come to it? I came to it after, I never saw the first, I only saw the last one. It's probably a better way of saying that. I only saw the last one at the cinema. I had a friend introduce me to it. We just watched it on DVD. And the first time I watched it, I it really hit me. I can't remember how old I was, maybe 14 or, mm. or older. Oh no, I must have been actually 16 or 17. So not that long with the franchise, but it really hit me. And I remember sort of sitting there and trying to like subtly wipe away a tear, like, no, don't judge me. <laughs> um, and after that, I didn't rewatch it for a while, but it was always in my head. And I eventually bought the DVD and watched it and was like, oh, wow. Okay, now I remember why it hit me so much. And it's immediately yeah. became a comfort film. I've seen it far too many times. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, so is there like a particular thing that's like the reason why you've picked it for today? I feel like Hadrian Your Dragon has been one of my... No, has been my favourite film for a very long time. Hmm. And I remember when I really was getting into film writing, I made a letterbox account because everyone had one and I thought, okay, well, I got to, I've got to <laughs> yeah. get in on that. And you know how on the account you have to put in like four favourite films? Yeah. I made a point to not put How to Dream Your Dragon in there because I was like, if I put that in there, no one's going to take me seriously. Yeah. And, and they must take me very seriously on letterbox. This is a <laughs> serious zone for people talking about movies. I get that anxiety mm -hmm. entirely. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I didn't put it up there. I didn't ever talk about it. I don't think I've tweeted about it very much until maybe like this or last year when I kind of, I don't even know what changed it. I think I just watched it multiple times in a row and was just like, I want to talk about this because this means so much to me. And yeah. I'm I'm a serious film writer, but I love kids films and I love this film and there is no shame in mm. me loving it. And so- For sure, yeah. yeah. I um, completely agree with you. I think there's something really nice about seeing, I think Lewis Carroll writes that there's no real children's stories. There's no stories just for children because a good children's story can be appreciated by anyone of any age. And when we were discussing this on a previous podcast with books for kids, um, it's actually a lot harder to write stories for children because they, you can't really get away with a lot more complex and conventional plotting. You really have to like boil down your story to easily digestible stuff but nothing too obvious otherwise it'll just fall flat and i think how to drink your dragon is a amazing example from that because the legs that that you know franchise then had i remember going to see how to train your dragon 2 and for just because i was like bored so i was like <laughs> 16 or something like that and being blown away by simply just the animation mm. and just how absolutely stunning it looked and the first one's a gorgeous film as well but i hadn't been like looking at it critically the characters are also winning the voice cast is it's the best thing jared butler has mm -hmm. done for like his entire career <laughs> since phantom of the opera um, of course and as oh uh, <laughs> of course I, I would like to disagree with that very intensely <laughs> i as a as a scot as well it's nice to get good old Viking Scott representation <laughs> where I think people just think like there's just a big circle around the North Sea and they just go that's that sounds you know Scottish <laughs> we'll just give them the accents for that <laughs> So, uh, you know, I'll take it where I can get it, mm. basically. I also think it's, like, I really hate the idea of, like, 
when people say a film is like a, a guilty pleasure like they're embarrassed about it like I'm very much the same there's like a bunch of kids films like Disney Pixar that I loved and just refused to talk about for a long time and then one day I was just like why am I embarrassed about this I love it and I'm gonna talk about mm-hmm. it yeah that's exactly that's exactly me and it's I mean even with me it's still been a process like yeah, for I sure. recently posted, uh, I recently had an article on Disney's original uh, movie, The Descendants, uh, published. Yeah. And I, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to, to even pitch that because I was like, I am going to be exposing myself as like being really, really in love with this film and it, not just liking it and being like, oh, it's a guilty pleasure, but like genuinely relating to it and, and finding a lot of depth to it, which is the exact same with How to Train Your Dragon. I find that there is so much being said by this film and so many ways you can read it if you look at it critically as well as it being a beautiful kids film yeah mm. it's also um one of the first kids films i've seen that had representation of disabled main characters mm-hmm. something which i just did not really mention at all but i guess the main character uh well, do you want to explain uh, talk a bit about that alex yeah sure it's actually one of one of my favorite things about this the film and the franchise so at the end of the first film hiccup goes into battle with toothless and falls very far and ends up losing his foot and it's you know appropriately the same foot that toothless loses his like back tail for because symbolism Mm. um and he wakes up the next day and he he's alive he had defeated the beast and he won but he realizes that he's now got to live with this disability and in the rest of the films the second one picks up i can't remember exactly how many years after the end of the first one but you see him at this point is he's very comfortable with it and it's like not a hassle for him he still deals with it and he he, at times will like take off the it's not exactly like prosthetic i suppose it is a prosthetic but it's like a very kind of specific one that he uses for dragon riding so i guess oh yeah yeah, um and you do see him having like like some struggles with it like it does cause him some pain but it's like mm-hmm. one of the only films i've seen specifically for kids as well where there's like a consequence to the fight like yes you win but you've also there has been consequences and you live with yeah. that and he does and it's really positively spun as well i think toothless as well is absolutely adorable <laughs> and you know th- there's a real glut when children's films of like the cute animal mm-hmm. um but Especially like consistently see across those three films, Toothless has made me like belly laugh a ridiculous amount of times just by how ridiculous and silly he is. And even when I watched the third one, like last Christmas or something like that, it's still absolutely endearing. And I think the third one doesn't Hiccup have a beard in that Hiccup one. Hiccup has uh, has a beard, uh, only for a short time. Yeah. yeah, it's it had a very big impact on me. <laughs> I tell you what, the the, the ending of three made me absolutely ball my eyes out. It's so sad. I actually only saw the third one recently as well, but um, it is a great Mm. franchise. So tell us, Alex, specifically about How to Train Your Dragon. How has that impacted your kind of talking about video games and sort of your writing and and your work like that? What specifically about the films do you kind of want to hold up that isn't usually talked about? So other than the, the basic idea of animated and kids films are still films that should be considered critically and also just as films that aren't any lesser than others. I also was kind of inspired by it to talk more about music and soundtracks, which is something I've always been 
hugely interested in like you only have to look at my Spotify playlist that's I've got like maybe close to 40 hours long at this point or maybe even longer of just film music and I know every single song by name composer and film amazing <laughs> and yeah it's something I never or well not never see but I very rarely saw in other people's writing like it was always a very either mm. a passing comment or a very specific post on a very specific website which I always think is a shame because music is such an inherent part of, of film tv and game and so I always try and make it more of a more of a thing in my writing when I can. You wrote a piece recently about the music in Fall Guys, didn't you? I did. Yes, that was a really fun one. Um. Yeah, it was really cool because I literally, as I was reading it, I was thinking I've not seen anybody talk about this and Alex is absolutely right. It's just, so the thing is with, with music in games and films is the benefit of it is that it is meant to be an, on, an unconscious thing. Like you listen to it and it impacts your thoughts and feelings and what you're seeing on screen, but never, makes you fully aware of it which is incredibly powerful but can lead a lot of people to kind of not think about it and I'm like please please think about it it's so important like listen to the first piece of music in How to Train Your Dragon which is called This is Burke and that piece of music in itself is one of the greatest pieces of storytelling I have ever heard it goes through the entire film in musical motifs and it's it's so beautiful I really want to go back now and just like really pay attention (laughs) to the music yeah it's it's incredible I think I've I've, I've just realize I listened to the soundtrack as well. I I know the Spotify like pops up on like my phone because I I'll Spotify has like learned my taste enough where it gives me a daily mix that's just soundtracks every day, which nice. is what I listen to when I'm writing, or just articles, or when I'm reading. And who's the composer again for the How Do You Train Your Dragon films? Uh, John Powell. Yeah, beautiful stuff, mm-hmm. like stunning. Like, and it's it's the it's the sort of emotions, it's the swellingness. It it feels sort of epic. I I really like the way that that soundtrack it mixes the sort of epic kind of you know battle stuff, but with just so much heart. And so mm. much sort of just warmness. And I think that's how the heart of the movie, and that really is about the heart of the movie series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. So as much as I could uh, talk about how to train your dragon for the rest of the episode, <laughs> shall we move on to your second piece? Yes, let's do that. Which one would you like to do? Um, I feel like Horizon Zero Dawn is a good one to move on to because music yes. is also involved there, for me anyway. Would you like to tell us what Horizon Zero Dawn is? Yes. So Based on the fact that I don't know a single thing about what a video game is uh i haven't played video games since the i had a wii oh, uh, wow. and that's my sort of extent oh i am really much like you are going to explain what a, like a game mechanic is and my brain's going to explode like <laughs> that's where we're at with video games so tell us all about like, last episode i educated rory about what mass effect is so we will get there slowly <laughs> Please tell us about Horizon. Uh, Horizon <laughs> Hero Dawn. Horizon Zero Dawn is a action role-playing game by Guerrilla Games. I think it came out in 2017, I believe. And it is set... I don't even want to say when it's set because I actually went in not knowing. <laughs> it's set in mm. a world where instead of fighting animals and creatures for hunting you're you're fighting robotic versions of them and you are in kind of a a tribe and every everything in the world is almost like regressed i guess back to the old days when you had to hunt and gather (laughs) 
and you play as a character called Aloy, who, after proving herself uh, to be a member in the matriarchal village of the Nora tribe, which is going to mean nothing to most people, goes out <laughs> on a hunt to try and find the truth behind her parentage. And it's really hard to talk about the plot without spoiling it. So when did you first... Did you play it when it came out or have you come to it more recently? I played it when, like, a couple of months after it first came out. I didn't actually know hmm. about the fact that it was uh, considered a new game. I had, I think I had just finished my A-levels or my GCSEs. I can't even remember. It was my A-levels. And I, I literally <laughs> finished my last one, walked out, went to the local game shop, bought a secondhand PS4 and got, like, Kingdom Hearts because I, I really wanted that game. And I didn't I didn't yeah. enjoy it, which was sad. And instead, I found Horizon Zero Dawn because I was like, it promoted the fact that there's a lot of stealth-based mechanics, which yeah. I love. I love stealth mechanics too, but do you know what? I'm so bad at them. <laughs> and every time I'm like, I'm going to be really stealthy. It's going to be great. I just always end up messing it up. <laughs> a stealth mechanic, just so I can check, a stealth mechanic is, is when you use the, the controller to play the video game. Is that... <laughs> where we're at um so it's basically when you try and com- complete a mission without combat so oh, sneaking around okay. people rather than shooting them in the head mm-hmm. yes i understand yeah with horizon zero dawn i am aware of the game and i have friends who've, who've played it and i was kind of like i like being on the periphery of video games and they say like, okay you guys go have your fun <laughs> and i have no idea what they're doing it's a. Uh, I think it was a surprise when it came out that it was so well written and the mechanics were so done at least from the sort of in the in the glut of we're talking about a lot of AAA titles that are coming out that have a really interesting setting or visuals or a great trailer and then it's kind of assumed that they won't have a compelling story I mean were you did you hear the hype from reviews or were you sold on it just by looking at it I it was I had not read any reviews by this point I had only really been introduced to the idea of writing for the like film stuff film feature was writing and film review writing I hadn't even considered that I would be able to do games as I didn't consider myself a gamer at that point as I hadn't picked up a a console properly for years I just had to like borrow my brothers so I wasn't in on the game news even though I loved games I literally just went to the shop and like looked at the cover and saw this gorgeous redhead with a Mm. bow fighting like a mechanical I don't even know what it looked like but a mechanical beast and I was like hmm yes I want that one and then I just took it home and just was astounded by how gorgeous it was and how interesting the story was and the music was beautiful so i've actually just started playing horizon zero dawn for the first time yeah so i know that like everybody loves it and unfortunately it mostly has been spoiled for me so i do kind of know what's gonna happen Mm. but yeah i honestly the amount of times that i'm like running around i'll just like stop at the edge of cliffs and just like look for ages Mm. because it's so Mm. pretty have you climbed one of the giraffe things that's in all the photos? No, I oh haven't. Oh my gosh, when you you get to climb one and the view from the top is one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a game. I'm so excited. Yeah. I love climbing things in video <laughs> games. Like, honestly, like Zelda, Assassin's Creed, if I can get to the top of any tall thing and look at it just for ages, I will do it. Have you written then... You have written on Horizon Zero Dawn, Alex. Yes, I I did. <laughs> how did you... Tell us about the piece and how, tell us about the writing process and how early this was in your sort of video game writing career and like what you kind of learned through doing it in terms of engaging with video games in this way. Okay, so... I actually didn't write it that long ago. I think it was in April of this year. And by that point, I had written a a decent amount of game stuff, but still not that much. Like in comparison to how much I've written on film and TV, my like games journalism is still like 
very up and coming and I'm I'm very mm. lucky to be working with New Game Plus to kind of have this opportunity to write more about games because it is such a huge part of my passions I guess so I yeah. really wanted to pitch something to it was actually for New Game Plus as well it was the first thing I ever wrote for them and it's titled How I Fell in Love with Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn like low-key simping I guess <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very easy. She's a great character. She is. And um, you always like see articles about female characters in gaming. And either they're always described as being like the badass. The badass female character shows that mm-hmm. women should be allowed in video games. Or the commentary about being a, about that saying women should be allowed to be in video games without having to be the badass. And it's a sort of cycle. And so I really wanted to write about Aloy as a character because I think she's one, incredibly interesting as a character in herself and also in terms of women in gaming or like women on screen for gaming because she is a badass, but that's absolutely not her defining trait. Her defining trait is that she is curious and kind. And a lot of women in games aren't always allowed to be kind because that's such a that's so effeminate which Mm. I just roll my eyes at but so I wanted to look at her and and talk about how the mechanics work around her being this kind and curious person so I look at Mm. I went back and I played some more and I also watched some gameplay of it because I wasn't at a time that I could replay the entire thing which was sad but you know that is the way sometimes (laughs) so I look back at like a lot of dialogue scenes between her and various characters in the game and you really notice this trend where no matter so you get to choose in dialogue how to respond but only in terms of like do you want to respond with i can't remember how they use it but it's like with a heart they symbolize it with a heart a brain or a fist yeah yeah and even if you pick one that isn't the heart she still tends to answer very either kindly or like with some sort of compassion or is still Mm. twisting it to get the information that she needs because she just wants to know more and that's not something I'd seen very often and the power of that is the fact that unlike so many other games that you know promote women characters you don't get a choice as to play Aloy as male like like in Assassin's Creed games for example you can be like "Mm, should I switch between Evie or shall I be I've forgotten his name. I'm playing it. I was just trying to think of the ones in Odyssey. I was like, it's Cassandra and... Yeah. Uh, well, we were name? talking about this, about Mass Effect on the previous podcast when, Abby, you were yeah. saying... Well, what were you saying about character choices and that? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty much just saying I pretty much exclusively play as female Shepard if I'm playing. But it is an interesting point because I do feel like games where you have a choice of gender, it doesn't really mm-hmm. change the character. And one of the selling points for me with Horizon Zero Dawn is definitely that it's like, you don't have a choice. You're Aloy and Aloy is incredible in terms of like female Mm -hmm. representation yeah absolutely I I remember doing some research on it for that post and there's a there's like a non non non-for-profit organization called feminist frequency I believe um and they did a a survey and found that only five percent of video games gen uh or at least shown at one of the e3 thingies had default female characters Hmm. whereas 22 percent were male and I think the rest was optional and it's just like just why (laughs) Mm-hmm. It shouldn't just be yeah. like Horizon Zero Dawn and The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I ask a, a genuine video game question? Um, Alex, uh, what would you say you were talking about these sort of characteristics about their defining traits? Um, and for me, it's like, I know a lot of video games w- writing will get back down in like the backstory and these cliches and kind of stuff like that. What would you say... For something that is so interactive where the player imprints onto the character, what do you need to write a good video game protagonist, the playable character? 
I don't think I have a clear answer to it because I don't think there is a clear answer to it. I think it depends on the game. It depends on your audience. And I think the main thing is just to approach your characters with sensitivity and also try to remember the fact that they are human and as such they are multifaceted. You don't need to get mm. bogged down by things like gender or the lore of a, of a game because mm-hmm. everyone is made up of so many parts that it, it, would, it will just get boring if for example one of my issues with the Assassin's Creed Syndicate game is that it falls into that trope of making making Evie the stealthy character and Jacob, I remembered his name, is is the, the combat uh, in-your-face brawler because he's a man and has muscles, mm. whereas she yeah. is a woman and so is slender. And it's just yeah. a little bit boring. So I think it's approaching your writing of characters and your writing of story with that in mind is the most important. Yeah. And like that's that's why you have games like The Last mm. of Us that is is so incredibly mm. written because none of those characters are, are one dimensional by far. So yeah, that yeah. that's my that is my on the spot answer to that very deep question. That's a good. That was a. I'm sorry for big. It was a big question. <laughs> asking big questions. You're gonna have to get used to that. I love big questions. That I have no idea. I'm following up on. That was a good answer. So in terms of your um kind of journalism and criticism career, when did you actually start writing about video games? I I have written various reviews for maybe uh, uh over a year and a half. Like I I really aptly my first ever video game review was of um a Switch game called. Called how to called Dragon Riders or something. It was based on how to train a dragon, and the only reason I wanted it was because I was like, <laughs> "Ooh, how to train a dragon," and no one had taken it. And that was probably two years ago. But more hmm. frequently, it has it's probably not even been six months, or maybe just been six months. And and it's it's still very yeah. up and coming because I am still kind of trying to find my place within the game writing. Because yeah, it's it's yeah. a difficult field to kind of situate yourself in and sometimes I am quite behind on games like I went through like I grew up playing games my brother was a huge influence on me because of that and then I went through a phase of just not playing video games at all for years and then kind of falling back in love with and going oh yes I remember why I like this so much. Now I gotta try and pick mm. that up, I guess. I was saying something similar to Rory last episode about uh, I also grew up with brothers that gamed quite a lot and I'd gamed my entire life and I started taking games more seriously as a hobby around 2013-2014 once I played Mass Effect for the first time and um, but I put off getting into games writing for so long just because I was like I don't know mm. how I fit in here and I don't know if I have anything worth listening to and it's I mean I'm the same I've been only been doing it for sort of seriously for a few months now and I still very much feel like every day I'm trying to figure out where I fit in Mm -hmm. to this community I mean I'm as a not just as a guest but like genuinely I've really been enjoying the stuff you've been putting out for games writing and it's it's people like thank you (laughs) it's people like you and like these connections you make when you you find other people in the same space who are writing not necessarily similar things but about the same topic that I think is the most important because Mm. so surprisingly haven't mentioned it but I have a discord server called writer's block which I started as a place for advice for freelance journalists and it's kind of by freelance journalists and I know you're on there and that's kind of where we probably started I guess chatting yeah it's a great <laughs> server it's been so much help just and nice to talk to other people yeah in I the think same and position. I think it's spaces like that and people like that who you know you meet them on twitter or you meet them on a discord server mm-hmm. and you see people who are putting out great stuff but not at such a high level like you can see like it'd be it's hard to keep someone as an inspiration if they're only writing for I don't know sony if they're writing for the sony blog that's it's mm-hmm. aspirational yeah 
yes, but it doesn't necessarily make you feel better because it's like, oh, well, I'm still doing it for free whilst I try and figure out my voice and figure out my place. And so to see people who are doing incredible stuff and, and writing for incredible places. It's just really inspirational. I think we're going to stop bringing for people sure. on the podcast who are just going to gas Abby up. <laughs> there are no more guests who come in and say, you write well, you're really good at writing stuff. Absolutely not. And I can promise all the people who are my friends who are bringing this podcast are going to say I'm a dog shit writer. <laughs> and that's exclusively why I'm bringing oh, no. them on. Uh, it's really, that, actually made, that was actually really sweet because it's... Uh, it's uh, it made me feel a bit warm and fuzzy because it's just, it's nice. We were discussing this recently where I'm scared of everyone. I'm scared that everyone, and I'm comparing myself to everyone who's, you know, more accomplished than me in doing stuff. And you do sort of realize we are all entry level people into this and we're doing it for the love of it. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice when we see one of our peers do something great. And, you know, I think there should be more of us saying this to each other of saying you wrote this really well and we're not just competition to get the lucrative pitches or the commissions or anything like that you know which are so competitive right mm-hmm. now that's that's probably been my my favorite thing about about making writer's block and also trying to be more active in not just commenting on people like on put people's articles online or on twitter but like actually trying to say hey i actually really appreciate this and i i'm i'm gonna approach you as a friend because it kind of makes people mm-hmm. you make it makes you realize that they are people and not competition like you said and that is the best <laughs> so alex in terms of your writing the other thing you like to talk about is horror mm-hmm. do you want to talk about your last piece yes so the last piece that i i picked to talk about was or is i should say halloween the 2018 remake sequel i don't it's it's kind of ambiguous mm. um because that franchise is The word is that ridiculous. the cool kids are throwing around is soft reboot. That's what everyone's <laughs> saying. It's kind of a sequel. Yes. Kind of a remake. It's a soft reboot. Yes, that is... It is exactly that. It's a soft reboot. And I, I, I put this on my list to talk about because... I partially find it incredibly amusing that if you scroll through my portfolio, it's like kids film, kids film, and kids film, kids film, animated film, horror, horror, kids film, horror, <laughs> video game, horror, kids question film. Question mark video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us, just set up the re the this movie, how it relates to the Halloween movies. So it is directed by David Gordon Green, and it is set for decades after the um, ending of the original film. So Michael has been in a psychiatric hospital, and he surprise surprise escapes and. Laurie Strode, who has over these 40 years been preparing for this very night, she, she's, she's always known that he would come back, decides to use her preparation to fight him when he gets there. And it's, it's, it's a basic Halloween slasher. I am so glad you picked this film. I'm so glad to see this turn up. I think I went to see, me and my friend were getting hyped for it. And I liked some of the director's other work, not the like Pineapple Express, the sitter, your highness stuff. Um, <laughs> David Gordon Green has done a lot of really sensitive dramas like George Washington mm. or Undertow. I love his Nick Cage film, Joe, so much. It's it's amazing. Um, and it looked weird and John Carpenter was doing the score, which I'm sure you've got lots of stuff to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, <laughs> but um, I went to see it and we went to see it like uh, Cineworld, rest in peace. Uh, they don't tell you if it's like a super screen or like a IMAX or like a Ford. Like if, they don't tell you if it's more expensive to see it. And I was like, man, this is going to be so much more expensive. It's a super screen. They're charging like two quid. And he said, let's just shut up. We're going to go see Halloween. And I was so <laughs> glad I did because it was the most fun I've had watching a film 
in so long. It's just horrendously violent, amazingly paced. Mm -hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis is a tour de force. It's, uh, what was your take on it then? I, well, firstly, I'm so glad to hear you saw it at the cinema because I think that was one of the biggest parts of this film as like an Mm -hmm. experience for me. When I wrote my form for this, for the guesting of this podcast, I put that this was my first ever press screening. That was actually a lie, I found out. It was my second... I think it's poignant that I forgot my first one because it was A Star Is Born and I felt so out of place the entire time that I barely was able to concentrate on the film because I felt mm. like such an imposter. Oh. Yeah, but then the second one, it was it was Halloween. Halloween is uh, an important franchise to me because I watched the first, the original film with my mum because my mum's a really big fan of like horror and Sasha films, which I remember not, not expecting when I was growing up. And we watched it on like Halloween together and it was just really, lovely and so I always like I associate it with her but not because it's a slasher but because of experience yeah and so it was really cool to go see it and I remember that it was the first time I I attempted to network there was someone who I'd been following on Twitter for a long time and who I'd chatted to a couple times and was like go on just just say hi just say hi and I said hi and we got chatting and she was really lovely and it was a proper Halloween screening so there were people dressed up as ghosts and there was someone there as Michael Myers handing out sweets and you could get a photo taken (laughs) oh amazing yeah so me a spooky spirit was just living for it which is probably why i remember it more (laughs) more so than a star is born it's also more memorable than a star is born as a film this is my new hot take which just happens star is born remake (laughs) is underwhelming uh the new halloween movie rocks but also that's really interesting because especially the remake is about the thing that i found most compelling is it's about like three generations of women teaming up to just like mm-hmm. murder the shit out of Michael Myers. I, I especially remember, no spoilers, but the um, gotcha moment at the end mm. of, yeah. I think about that every single day. I genuinely, <laughs> I'm thinking about it constantly. Every time I rewatch that bit, I get goosebumps. It's one of the best, it's the best thing, it's the best moment of any movie I had seen that year. And I just sort of remembered like, oh, this is why I gather around in my flat and uh, drink beer with my friends and watch terrible slashers because because it's half these are these are trashy movies and they know it and half it's just fun i absolutely agree it's it's one of the reasons why i especially like slasher films is because to be a slasher film you Mm. have to kind of have that awareness that you're a little bit silly like just a little Mm -hmm. you can still be a serious slasher film but you are they're just in i don't even know why um i've tried doing reading about it and i can still never kind of put my word my my um my tongue on it being like, why? <laughs> They're always just a little bit silly, but I think it's because of just the fact that they are slashes. So it's just a lot of gory deaths and trying to one up themselves and being like, hmm, you thought that was a that was a surprising death. Mm-hmm. You just wait for the next one and then the next one and the next one. Yeah. This is really interesting for me to listen to because I'm I sort of tell everyone that I love horror, but my knowledge of slasher films is appalling. Oh yeah. And it's not because I'm not intrigued by the genre, but I'm so bad with anything that's gory. Boring, right. I struggle to watch them but i did when alex filled out the form and i saw that she was she wanted to talk about halloween i watched it the other night and i actually really enjoyed it Mm. and it's kind Mm. of made me think i'm like go back and sort of catch up with the classics because my supernatural horror yes knowledge is very good but when it comes to slashes and serial killers and stuff not so much you should know when you look at the classics is a not very many of them are good i think the only slashers that's fine (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I think the only ones that are like actually genuinely good is like a really good piece of enjoyable art is like the first Halloween and then like maybe Nightmare on Elm Street 1. But that is a silly movie. Like in terms mm. of being scary, mm. it's very limited. The best slasher of all time, in my opinion, is Scream because it's one of the best movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And that hits the same stuff of it. It's a very similar to Halloween because it's it's a, it's a reinvention and a re- sort of jigging of the slasher genre. They're both very aware of the history that they come out from and they really just dial up the fun. So talking about John Carpenter, Alex, you can't talk about film scores without talking a little bit about uh, John Carpenter. Uh, John Carpenter's music just hits differently, I think. <laughs> yes. Agreed. It's it's in, it's incredibly simplistic, but in the best possible way. Like he knows. So I haven't actually looked properly into his background as a director. Uh, sorry, as a composer. I've done like some reading on others, but I never really looked into his. So I don't actually know if he's say had any experience doing it before, or whether he just kind of wanted to do it for this film which I, I think would be valid. Mm-hmm. But he makes use of electronic mm-hmm. minimalist music to make one of the most iconic and tonally correct pieces of music for like a film. Mm-hmm. Because the, the way it, it, it sounds is both really ominous. Like it, you can, you, it, it has this, like these high pitched sounds that are a little bit silly, which I think is apt. And then it has that super low ominous sound underneath it all as it gets like louder and quieter. Mm-hmm. And you can even sort of argue like it, that the sound itself is sort of telling you a kind of a little bit about the film. Like it's going to be a little bit silly, but there's going to to be this dark figure michael myers mm-hmm. kind of haunting everything just like in the background just waiting that's his watching. that's his vibe i'm so glad he did the score because it's one of the best things in the new movie and it really helps sell mm. this sort of just like grungy sort of nightmarish feel to it uh the shape burns is mm. unreal cycling back to you writing then have, have you written on halloween what do you like talking about and what do you like writing about with horror? So I've only written one piece on Halloween and that was the original uh, review for when I when I went to the, the screening of it. And I, <laughs> I have a very distinct memory of, I saw it in the evening on one day and then the next day I had like a 9am at university and I went and then I had like an hour break before my next class. So I went and sat in the square, got my laptop out and just wrote the entire review super quickly within that break. And it was like one of the only times or one of the few times that a review has come to me like that easily because I was just like yes I know exactly what I want to say I want to talk about the women and I want to talk about how it feels like the original which I think is the most important part because like if you don't know the Halloween franchise just look at the Wikipedia page it's ridiculous there are so many and like it's it's yeah it's absolutely wild and this is I think one of the only films that really feels like an apt reboot mm-hmm. of of the original it also makes Michael Myers scary again mm-hmm. like really like, like he's just there as a haunting kind of figure in the first one because halloween is potentially one of the first it's not the first slasher but it's what prompted the glut of slashers mm-hmm. being made in the late 70s and 80s and but if you look back he just kind of stands around a lot and then does one or two kills um, he is a, a nightmare in this new movie. He's so violent and so brutal that it is genuinely like, okay, this is hell. This is mm-hmm. really horrendous. A lot of the best shots were, though, just him standing there, noticing him in the background. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So intimidating. The tracking shot when he, um, when oh, yeah. I can't remember who it is, but someone like goes into the house you're, and you just, you just see him like, 
out of the corner of your eye throughout oh, it. Oh, when he takes the hammer. Oh, mm. It's terrifying. Oh, and the baby, and you yeah. see the baby, and you're like, oh, this is where oh, we're going yeah, as yeah. a movie now. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene is when uh, the granddaughter, Allison, there's a, a nice guy, her friend, who tries to, like, get it on with her and then she kind of pushes him off and then he's just in someone's back garden he sees the silhouette mm-hmm. of michael and it's like a horror scene well first of all he says do you ever have that guy that girl that you just can't seem to like you know catch or get and it's really <laughs> obvious but really funny mm-hmm. it's it's a horror scene dictated by like motion lights in a garden like motion activated lights like he's just standing there and the lights go off and then just the horror breaks out and it's like so intelligent and such a a great return to form for Halloween, which is a suburban horror. Like literally the horror is coming into your homes when you think you're safe with babysitters, they are going to come in and murder everyone there. I absolutely agree. That's my favorite. uh, That was my favorite sort of sequence of the film myself. And like, especially seeing Mm. it in the cinema with people who, the experience was so great. I remember the, he was standing in the the backyard and the lights went off and you could hear everyone go, (gasps) And then they came back on and then they went off again and everyone started to do that like tense giggle. Yeah, oh, and you're like, absolutely. Oh, God, something's about to happen, but we don't know what. And it was it was so satisfying. And it is. It's that horror. It's great. So have you got some horror pieces coming up this month, Alex? I have a piece on. Ha- oh, wow. I didn't realize how kind of apt this this piece is for all of the three things I've spoken about. Wow. It is a <laughs> it's an article on how cute horror games work. It should be coming out later this month, a bit closer to Halloween. And it is about one of my favorite kind of subgenre of games, which is I've kind of deemed the cute horror. I don't really know what how else to describe it, but it's the video games like Little Miss Fortune or even like Doki Doki mm. Literature Club, which I write about which use super cute aesthetics and animation to not only subvert the expectation of horror, but also be a, a very different type of scary. Mm. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of ambitious piece. I remember I sent it off to be edited and was just like, I really hope that this oh, makes yeah. sense because in my head I've it makes sense. Theory, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's me. Is, to like I literally, it's like either this will be the best thing anyone's ever written, or it will be complete dog shit. <laughs> but um, I, I can absolutely. How is it coming? When's it coming out? Where is it coming out? It is coming out on New Game Plus again, and I don't have the specific date, but it is. It should be around Halloween itself. So I think with that, Alex, You're an uh, dream, thank you very Alex, much for coming though. on. It's been wonderful talking to thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been. An absolute pleasure. This has been so much fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, would, would you like, you to, like plug to plug, plug work? socials Just and plug Abby's article. stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, my, I mainly use Twitter. I ramble a lot about How to Train Your Dragon and video games and dumb do you wanna stuff. He- if you want to hear this but with less interruptions <laughs> from me, you can go on to Alex's Twitter. And <laughs> that's, what, that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it is alex underscore dewing which is my surname which is just d-e-w-i-n-g it should be somewhere on this podcast probably yes absolutely we're not gonna we're not that lazy we're not like i say we're not that lazy i am definitely that lazy it will all be in the description um and we'll put a link to your uh, discord as well and some yes, of the articles that you've on. mentioned uh you can find me on twitter uh where i'm covering the london film festival 
and occasionally tweeting about a hill I live beside or anxiety. Those are the two <laughs> ones I've got going at the moment. Maybe I'll get a bit spooky later on in the <laughs> month, but currently that's just the ones I'm cycling around. I am at Rory has opinions. Rory spelled R-O-R-Y, which is the correct one. I don't want any of these Rory's coming at me in the replies. Wait, how do Sorry. other people spell it? Oh, there you, so there's the Scottish and the Irish spelling of it. And like, you can spell it R-O-R-Y or you can spell it R-U-I-H-D. H G unlike you know I I have very little time for these people. That's thanks it. and uh, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter uh, at Abby Ruggles and Abby is two B's and one I because of reasons. You can follow <laughs> the podcast at the Stories Cast on Twitter and Instagram or email us at the Stories That Make Us at gmail So again, thank you everybody for being on, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye.